Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, episode 40. I'm Wyatt Teeter, and along with your other two hosts, Mike Ludwig and Kyle Mersch, we're going to be bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. This week, we're talking about Cyclone Football and the Big 12, Formula One, your weekly turtle tab, Major League Baseball, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions. Two things before we start. When is when is our weekly turtle tab going to become a signature segment? I mean, we've only been doing it for like the entire baseball season. I feel like it's a signature segment at this point. If we did, we'd have to put it behind MLB then. We could. I mean, it's it's real quick this time of year. But oh, that's true. And, and that's sec- true. And second of all, when we started doing this, did any did either of you actually think we'd actually get to episode forty? Because no. I certainly did not think we'd actually get to forty episodes before we got bored and gave up. Yeah, definitely not. This is about the time that we buy a boat and have a midlife midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Like well, that's how far we made it. Well, maybe if we didn't get bored and gave up, everyone else would get bored of us and just give up. Yeah, but that so, hasn't happened either. You, fellow listener, thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, and to Drew Brees, who we gave our shout out to in episode uh, one. Episode if one. You wanna, if you want to still show up, we'd be more than happy to have you. Hundred percent. We would love your input. We would love your input as soon as football season comes around, or sooner than that if you want. That's fine too. Talk about NFL training camp. NFL training camp is starting like this week, guys. I haven't even thought about the Twins have been playing so well. I haven't even thought about NFL training camp yet. Yeah, which is a good thing. Because the Tyreek news, Tyreek Hill news just came through. So everybody in Kansas City is happy. But Kansas City's thinking about trading him now. Did you see that? Um, I don't know if that'll happen. I don't think it will either, but they're thinking about it. So, Drew Brees, yeah. if you're interested in coming out of the show, or if anybody else wants to drop us a line, you can do that at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact, or by sending us a DM on Instagram at 8311cast. Quick plug there before we get going with some Cyclone football. Yeah, we're going to start this episode 40 with our bread and butter, what we started with in our first episode, talking about some Cyclone football. We only 41 days away from the opener of Cyclone football against you and I at Jack Trice Stadium on August 31st. I am pumped. Is anybody else pumped? I'm pumped. I'm super pumped, but I feel like they're going to win if they play you and I. I mean, they will win if they play you and I or you and I. When was the last time you played football, Kyle? A long, long time ago. I think I broke my arm in third grade and I was done after that. So, yeah. Not recently. Not recently. So yes, they would beat us. I can't keep up with uh, with uh, Brock Purdy. I don't right. want to can try you, to. Can you even keep up with some of the offensive linemen? Yes, my fast forty time is not that bad. You've seen me. I'm faster than you. Okay. I could. I could. I could outrun. I could outrun Colin Newell. I think. I think. But anyway. This is actually a year to be excited about Cyclone football for more of a reason than it just being football. This is a Cyclone football team that could actually be really good. The Cyclones were uh, picked by the media in the most recent poll to finish third in the Big 12 behind OU and Texas. So this is just an amazing thing to think about where three years ago this is a team that lost their opener to UNI and only won three games the entire year. It really is quite amazing to think about. Um this team being picked to finish third, which is probably only a surprise win away from being in the Big 12 championship game. 
unthinkable things is what the Cyclones have been doing here for a while. So it is, it's great to see uh, the teams get some respect. Now they just got to prove it. They got to continue to earn it and prove it and go from there. It's also a testament to the coaching staff and who um, the athletic director, Jamie Pollard, has brought in to run this program. Um, it speaks to the fact that if you have facilities, great coaches, and players who buy into everything that you're wanting to do, you can win football games and you can turn a program around. We'll get into it in a little bit. The Cyclones are having a really good recruiting class upcoming, but in the past, they don't have they don't have shining and sparkling recruiting classes touted with five-star recruits on offense and defense playing playing all over the field. They don't have that. They have a group of players who are willing to play. Hakeem Butler, two-star recruit. David Montgomery, three-star recruit. All bought into the process, all made this team better for the long run, and we're going to see that this year. There's big things to be excited about, especially since the entire offensive line played the final 11 games of the season together last year. So Uh that's a huge start for the offense. Yeah. And uh, the real reason we're getting all this uh, Cyclone football notice because Big 12 Media Day was uh, this past week down in Jerry's World in in Dallas at the Cowboys Stadium. And I guess the biggest... The biggest on-the-field thing that came out of Big 12 Media Day was probably a uh, statement issued by the Big 12 saying that, uh, clarifying what will and won't be a penalty with horns down. I know we talked about it a little bit last week that ESPN had an article about it, but now at Media Day, the Big 12 came out and clarified it. So basically said, horns down will not be a penalty as long as it is not done in a taunting manner. So if you don't do it at Texas's players, bench, or fans, you will not be penalized for it. If you do it like on your bench in a non-taunting manner, you will not be penalized for it. Frankly, I think this is a very vague ruling. It leaves too much discretion up to the officials. And if I'm Matt Campbell or if I'm Mike Gundy or insert other Big 12 Lincoln, coach name Lincoln, here, Riley, yep, Kleinman... I'm just going to tell my players, don't be stupid, don't do it. That's that's what I would tell my players as a Big 12 coach. Sure, it's fun to rub it in Tech's face if you beat them, but you just can't take those penalties, take the 15 yards on the kickoff. So technically, in some situations, it'll be legal, but if I'm a Big 12 coach, I'm just staying out of it. And personally, I don't know. I mean, I get that you don't want taunting, but I think some of it is a little... We'll have to see how the officials call it, I guess, to see if it's going to be called too extreme or not. Because I could see this being interpreted and being called way too extreme, but I could also see this being just fine and not too extreme, all depending on how the refs take it. So we'll have to see here what we get. But What happens if a Texas player does a horns-up motion in a daunting manner to the opposing team? Nothing. There's nothing that's going to happen from that. Technically, if you ever taunt your opponent, it's a penalty, but a horns up is a lot less likely to be seen as a taunt than a horns down will be. That's the way I would think it. So, I, I don't I don't get that. Texas can make a touchdown, all of a sudden, you know, do horns up, whatever. But say a different team scores a touchdown against Texas, doesn't matter if it's not at the bench or not, and they do a horns down, that can still be considered a taunt. I mean, technically, now with the gloves that receivers and running backs wear, when they put them together, it shows the school logo. And they generally will technically hold those up towards 
other teams sometimes I've seen it, that could be classified as a taunt as well because they're flashing their school's colors. I've seen it actually called as a flag before. I, I don't get that. That that ruling is so vague. You're right, Mike. I mean, the, I think any post, post-score celebration is probably going to draw a taunt at this point. It's kind of what I'm getting from this ruling, and based on what I know from the Big 12 referees, that this just seems like trouble to me. Yeah, Big 12 refs aren't the best as Cyclone fans, I'm sure, now. From None of them history. are good. But what is good, as Kyle alluded to earlier, is the way that Matt Campbell's been recruiting. Do you want to fill us in on uh, how this recruiting class has gone, Kyle? Yeah, so a lot of the focus on the recruiting class is beefing up the defensive line. Uh, upcoming um, in the, in the for the 2020 season, a lot of the defensive line will uh, see a shift because a lot of seniors are going to be playing this year along that defensive line. Um, with the likes of Jaquan Bailey and Ray Lima. Um, the defense is going to look a lot different in the 2020 class, but they are recruiting a lot of great talent coming in. Uh, they just got a landed a huge recruitment of a big nose uh, nose tackle, or I guess not a nose guard. He, he's an interior defensive lineman um, who will be playing on the defensive side, and he's going to be an absolute beast he already has great hands quick feet coming out of high school he was a great get by the team um there's obviously more focus on receivers we're going to need depth at receiver going forward as well um and they're recruiting just a lot of great um, players to play on hopefully the best defense in the big 12 going forward i think that's what the culture is going to shift to is um, I would, the Iowa State way is going to be defensive, defensive play with an offense that is very efficient. So I think they have that figured out. They had got a, they landed a big quarterback recruit who's actually been performing very well at camps right now uh, for the 2020 class. So we're excited to see him come in. I believe he's a six-three quarterback from the Quad Cities, um, who's going to set a bunch of records. Who's on pace to set a bunch of records in high school. Uh, in its senior season. So lots of great recruits coming to Iowa State, a lot to be excited for. Um, we will see what happens because um, there's always the um, looming factor that Matt Campbell is a very hot topic name in the coaching world. So Matt Campbell shops at Hot Topic? Is that yes. registered? Yes. That's where he gets all his cyclone polos? Yep. I, could I get cheap cyclone all polos? His, all of his topic? Coach Campbell polos and uh, khakis that come with the uh, with the playbook attached to them. Okay, hanging, hanging on hot a clip. Topic. So, yeah, uh, hot topic. That's where you can find it. All right, sounds good. I'll check Hashtag that out. not a not a sponsor. I need some more. I need some more uh, polos for work. So maybe I'll get myself a good cyclone polo for work. Do it from Hot Topic. From Hot Topic, yes. The only but yeah, lots to be excited for. We'll see how this season shapes up. It should be a good one. So. Stay tuned for the um, Iowa State U and I game, which will actually be uh, nationally televised, nationally broadcast. Eleven a.m. Fox Sports One. Fox Sports One. July thirty oh, first. Just kidding. August thirty first. Yep. That game will be at. So, big game, big game. Got to get the win. If you're going to be a real team, you got to beat U and I. Then you'll probably be a top twenty five team with uh, Iowa coming to Jack Trice the week after that. I think ESPN College Game Day, you better be there. That we're could, fine. We're fine with you 
going to see Oregon and Auburn in week one, but you better be in Ames week two. That's that's going to be the biggest game of my five years being an Iowa State. Ah, uh, no. Second biggest game of my five years being an Iowa State fan. That game is going to be after this previous year's Texas game, yeah. which is still the biggest game. So, huge game week two. Don't overlook you and I, but huge game week two for the Cyclones. Um, Wyatt, it looks like there's some controversy in uh, F1 you want to fill us in on, like some lawsuits or some <laughs> stuff like that. What's going on? Yeah, an- another lawsuit. So uh, Haas is a racing team, uh, one of the constructors for Formula One, one of the 10, the only American-based um, racing team right now in Formula One. And they're named after the Haas Manufacturing Company. They, they do a lot of cool stuff. They have a lot of money. They're, they basically fund themselves every year, no big deal. But if they can pick up a title sponsor at the beginning of the season, they will. Uh, they ended up picking up Rich Energy as a title sponsor at the beginning of this season. Uh, which is like a, kind of a newly formed UK-based sport um, energy drink, I guess. And they've already been sued once over the use of their logo. Their logo is the exact same logo as White Bikes, which is a UK-based bike company, a bicycle company. So they got sued over that and had to remove their logo from all their, their Formula One cars. No big deal. Um, they ran out of money and ended up pulling out and are no longer Haas's title sponsor because they ran out of money. Which, okay, whatever. Now... Rich Energy and its CEO, um, well, that's his name even, William Story, is being sued by Red Bull over, it's not explicitly slander, but essentially they're suing him over slander and using their their, their trademark of, it, you know, gives you wings. Red Bull gives you wings. That's a pretty, pretty well-known uh, slogan. Also not a sponsorship. Not a sponsor of Rich Energy, Haas, Formula One, Racing Group, or Rich Energy. Um, he essentially, William Story is using the slogan, forget the wings, rich energy gives you horns because their, their logo was like an antler based thing with horns on it. Cause horns down, horns down, anything that has to deal with horns, nobody even likes. Just look at Texas. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes rich energy either. They're not even a real company. I swear this is just a shell company. That's, I don't know. I've never heard of something. Exactly. They don't even sell. Like, they have, like, three pictures of the product. Nobody's ever seen them in stores. But basically, Red Bull is suing Rich Energy. That, that was the only thing. It's kind of fun because Red Bull obviously also sponsors two teams in Formula One, Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso. So that was, that was kind of fun. But Rich oh, Energy is no like longer Red Bull, Formula but, like, thing. not English. Yeah, kind of. Toro Rosso is, yeah... I guess you could say kind of the, the JV team in comparison to Red Bull Racing. Red nice. Bull Racing, Mercedes, and Ferrari, like the top three constructors right now in Formula One. So nice. anyway, that's all I had. Just a quick update. There isn't, there wasn't a race this past weekend. So when is the next race? Um, I'm gonna double check. It should be next weekend, and it will be in um the German Germany Grand Prix. Okay. German Grand Prix. German Grand Prix. Yeah, Sunday, July 28th. Just next week, 8, 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN2. If you want to catch that race, would totally recommend it. We'll get to see Sebastian Vettel hopefully actually race because he's had a hard time. Ferrari in general has had a hard time. And I'll see if I can get one. I'll write that down predictions, right, which says that Landon Norris is going to take a podium sometime this season, which I really hope happens. But anyway, yeah, Formula 1, not a whole lot going on right now. But Nice. Um, There's also not a lot going on with Baseball's savior, Willens Astadio, this time of year. Um, he's still hurt, still on the DL, still in the dugout, still having fun. 
but still not playing. It's about it. Still no timetable for his return. Who knows if he'll, A, come back, and B, if he'll be on the Major League roster when he does come back. Luis Arise has uh, come up and pretty much taken his job playing three infield positions and the outfield and hitting phenomenally well and not striking out much. So Luis Arise has basically replaced Willens Astadio on this team at this point. So we'll see. He'll be back eventually. He's still a legend. He's still baseball savior. It just might take a little longer for him to save baseball than we originally thought derailed with an injury. Hopefully you'll get there. We'll keep you updated. Kyle, you want to talk about the Royals who are actually playing well, I'm told? Yeah, they're playing very well. Um, They're 7-3 since the All-Star break, um, which has been very uh, surprising and very promising, although they've beat up on some uh, fairly um, non-existent teams at this point. They swept the Tigers. Actually, no, they they didn't sweep the Tigers. They took 2-1 from the Tigers, but then they uh, swept the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox are actually decent. They're not great. They're good, but they have a lot of good um, pitching. But they did get to Lucas Giolito, who's been uh, the White Sox best pitcher so far this season and one of the best pitchers in the American League. Um, But one thing that did happen that was uh, very interesting this week is the Royals said sayonara to Willie uh, Peralta, um, who was an absolute waste of a roster space all season since he had an ERA that bloomed over six multiple times during the year. Uh, He had multiple blown saves, blown leads, was just an absolute terrible pitcher this season for the Royals. Couldn't ever get anything figured out, couldn't get into a rhythm. Uh, He started out as the Royals' closer, and that quickly vanished after he blew three consecutive uh, save opportunities. Um, And he's just been horrible this whole season. Uh, This week he got into an argument on the field with the rookie catcher, um, Mabry's Valoria, uh, who was brought up since Martin Maldonado was traded to sh- to the Chicago Cubs. Um, and this was over a pitch that Willie Peralta shook off a bunch of times until he finally got to the pitch that he wanted to throw because he apparently determines what pitch he wants to throw and then doesn't accept any other advice at all. Um, and then that pitch turned into a double off the top of the wall. Um, and then the Royals DFA'd him, designated free agent, made him a designated free agent after d- that d- game. D- what does DFA stand for, Kyle? Designated free agent. That's, that's or not Or designated right. free assignment, sorry. Thank you. Good, good try. Appreciate the effort. Um, because he's garbage. So just a fun fact involving Willie Peralta. So the Royals have spent $7.45 million this year on Chris Owings, Brad Boxberger, and Willie Peralta, who have combined to produce a negative 1.4 war. That's a lot of money to spend on players who are losing the ball games. Bad, yeah. On a bright side, though, the Royals' best player, Whit Merrifield, had the fastest inside-the-park home run of the season in Major League Baseball. According to StatCast, that was timed at 14.82 seconds from home to home. It was a fast inside-the-park home run. Um, the Byron ta- Boxing's faster. Yeah, he's faster, but he hasn't. He hasn't logged a faster inside the park home run than what Merrifield has this year. That's true, but he has in previous years. That's what the stat is for this season. So I know, you. but I'm just saying Buxton's faster. There you go. Yeah, but I I w- would be willing to go out and bet that Alberto Mondesi could give Buxton a run for his money. Brian Except Buxton's Mondesi's still the on the deal. player in baseball. Okay, that's 
that's up for grabs because Trout's definitely the best player in baseball. I didn't say best. I said fastest. Oh, fastest. Okay. I thought you said best. But getting back to actual Royals baseball, uh, the Royals are furious with a replay that didn't go their way this week. Alex Gordon uh, tried to tag and go home on a fly ball to right field. Um, he danced around the catcher at home plate. It was actually very graceful. It was fun to watch. Um, when asked after the game if he was joining Dancing with the Stars this season, he said, I'll consider it. Um, but he's, he danced around home plate and the catcher and touched home before the catcher actually tagged him out. Uh, he was ruled safe on the field, and there was no indisputable video evidence claimed by the Royals organization and by both teams' broad, uh, um, television broadcasters for the game. Um, but the play, the call was overturned on the field. So not very happy with the uh, replay official for that game. Um, but Hubba Bubba Starling, our darling Starling, went deep today, Sunday, against the Indians' Brad Hand. Does he only then, eat Hubba Bubba Bubblegum? Yes, he does. I'm convinced he does. Not a sponsor of Hubba Bubba either. Not a sponsor of Hubba Bubba. We, we don't have a sponsor, if you haven't noticed. So if you want, if to, you sponsor, want to sponsor us, let's yeah. So yeah, that's the that's the Royals update. Mondesi's still on the DL, hopefully, or the IL. Hope that we get him back soon because we miss him. Nice. Do you know the Twins were finally getting healthy? Eddie Rosario, CJ Clone were both back this week to play against the New York Mets, and everything was going well. And then the Twins actually played the Mets. So the Twins have had an interesting week. They went uh, only 2-4 and four this week. Uh, they started the week getting swept by the Mets. And game two of that series was an absolute, di- turned into a disaster light. This team was up by a run going into the late innings. And um, then Trevor May proceeds to give up an 0-2 home run. The Twins are now down an 0-2 home run to a player that uh, Ari Adrianza strikes out later in the game. Ari Adrianza's utility infielder struck out this guy later in the game. Trevor May served up a home run ball. That inning continues to spiral out of control where um, a routine fly ball to the left is hit for what should be the uh, third out, and Eddie Rosario saunters over to it and gets to it and drops it, looking like me playing the outfield and slow-pitch softball. Just drops the ball and... uh, the final score ends up being 14-3 in that game after the Twins were up 3-2 earlier in the game. It was an absolute disaster on Wednesday. Probably the worst, definitely the worst loss of the year for the Twins. Did, you put, the, a, did you put a box around it on your... A, uh... I did. I put a box around it. So I have a schedule, a Twins pocket schedule, hanging up on my wall where you put all the wins and losses on it. And if it's a, if it's a bad loss... You, you put a square around the loss, so you, when you look back on it five years from now, you can remember where the bad losses are. It's only the third square. It was only the second square of the year. I By saying three, I gave you a preview of what I'm going to talk about in the next couple minutes here. And then uh, the A's came to town on Thursday, and the Twins really needed to redeem themselves. And they came in to the, uh, to the eighth inning down three to one to the A's. And they put two men on in the eighth. And uh, Eddie Rosario comes into the game to pinch hit. Comes up, first pitch, fastball, bomba into the right field seats. Biggest hit of the year for the Twins. 
as Eddie Rosario took uh, gave him a 4-3 lead. The Twins ended up winning that game 6-3. Things really could have been spiraling out of control had he not hit, hit that home run because that would have put the Twins on a four-game losing streak with three more games coming up against the A's. That was the biggest hit of the year uh, when it was I hit that home run. Uh, the Twins proceeded to fall the next day to the A's, but, you know, the A's are a good team. It happened. And then the third square of the year happens on Saturday night. The Twins uh, end up going up 4-3 to three, um, in going into the ninth inning. Taylor Rogers, who's been one of the best relievers in baseball, like we talked about last week, comes in, gets the first two guys out. Then on a two-strike pitch, hits the next guy on the back foot with a breaking ball. Then gives up a double, so then it's uh, runners on second and third with two outs still. Twins are up by one. And then a line drive to the first baseman bounces off Adrian's glove, and there's no other infielders on that side of the field, so it turns into a two-run single. The A's take the lead. The Twins proceed to get um, to go ground out, single, double in the uh, top or in the bottom of the ninth. So you got runners on second and third, one out. Eddie Rosario is coming up again, going up for the big hit, but they intentionally walk him to pitch to Mitch Garver. Bases loaded, one out, hits the ball right on the screws, right to the shortstop, ground ball, double play, Twins lose. That one also got a square. And then the Twins bounced back, come back on uh, on Sunday to play the A's one more time, and again jump out to a lead in the late innings before in the eighth inning. The A's come in and score two more runs on some walks and some wild pitches and some hits and just a bullpen disaster. The A's take another late lead, and uh, the Twins put a runner on third with one out in the uh, in the uh, eighth and don't score. And then they've got a runner on first and one out in the ninth. And the new biggest hit of the year happens as Aray Adrianza triples off the top of the right field wall scoring Luis Arise from first. Two batters later, Max Kepler hits the, uh, hits the game-winning walk-off single, and the Twins win. And what would have been another square turned into a big win. So it was a really, really interesting week for the Twins. It was the best series of the, the most fun series to watch of the year for the Twins. It was an emotional roller coaster this week, but it was a ton of fun. But this also sort of leads into why I'm pissed off this week. I'm pissed off at panicking Twins fans. Should the Twins lead in the division is only three games now, and at one point it was 11 and a half, and may, the Twins team is not, the Twins aren't playing as well as they used to be. But still, their run differential is plus 111, which is very good. This Twins team is still 22 games above 500, still with a 6-12 win percentage. They're not perfect. Obviously, they need to fix the bullpen. They need to do things like that. But you don't need to panic. There's no reason to panic. The Indians have closed this lead not really because the Twins have been bad, but because the Indians have been playing phenomenal baseball. Since, like, the beginning of June, the Indians have only lost about 12 times, between 10 and 12 times, and three of those were the Twins. So outside of the Twins, there's only, like, eight, there's only like eight games the Indians have lost in the last month and a half of baseball. That's why and the Indians can't play that good the rest of the year. They're playing at like 115 win pace. They're not going to be able to play that good once the schedule gets tough here in August when they have to play the Houstons and the Yankees and the Tampa Bays. 
of the world like they're going to have to do. So the this Astros, won't continue. The Astros, yes. The Houstons. The Houstons, yes. The multiple Houstons. They're going to have to play the Texans and the Astros and the Rockets all at once. All three of the Houstons. But yes, it won't continue. Twin fans need to stop panicking. Don't panic. This team is going to make the playoffs. They're going to win the division. Stop panicking. Stop telling me to panic. Your panicking is making me upset. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. The panic button should be over in the other room where you can get it if you need it later, but you're not in danger of pressing it now. Don't panic. Don't panic. Go take two out of three from the Yankees and you'll be just fine. Stop panicking. End of rant. Somebody else talk about baseball before I get more upset. So the Cubs are doing pretty not bad at the moment. Pretty not bad. Pretty not bad. Pretty not bad in comparison to the – well, we'll get there in a second. So this past week they won both their series, didn't sweep either of them, got a two-for-three against the Reds and two-for-three against the Padres, all at Wrigley. Um, Game one, I think, uh, against the Padres, Anthony Rizzo was requested by a nine-year-old to hit a homer on behalf of a group that – he was with that was running a 5K in Chicago. Anthony Rizzo obliged and hit a go-ahead grand slam in Game 2 of the Padres. So it was Game 2, not Game 1. Um, this is his first home run since the middle of June. So go Rizzo. Still killing it. Love that man. Game 3, uh, Javi Baez with a three-run homer for the go-ahead. Uh, go-ahead three-run homer. Let me get my, my words straight. Against the Padres uh, in like the fourth inning. Then he had a ridiculous no-look tag on a stolen base attempt by Will Myers in, in the ninth, which eliminated a would-be tying run in the second. That, that looked impressive. I thought it was. It looked really impressive, but thinking about it, it's actually not that impressive. I mean, it's what they what, do. That, that's his job. You, you, you catch the ball, and what are you going to do? Just stand there? Of course you're just going to – you know the base run is there somewhere. You're just going to throw the glove there, and he happened to hit the runner. I think it's I mean, more – I think it's more of a testament to Javi's both offensive and defensive skills on the was, field. He can hit great. it with the bat and get it with the glove. Right. You know, it was great. It was a great. It was a good catch to catch that ball, but the tag was. I mean, you're gonna catch the ball and slap the tag. The tag itself, the fact that it was behind his back. I mean, he knew the runner was back there somewhere, so he just threw the glove back there. I don't know. I don't think it was impressive as people were making it out to be. Sorry, I'm I respect on your all opinion. Your no, you're good. I respect your opinion, but I w- I would disagree. I think it's impressive, mostly not because of the play itself, but just a testament to how good of a player he is, both with the bat and the glove. Love Javier Baez. So, like I said, the Padres managed to avoid the sweep. Um, they beat the Cubbies in Game Three. It happens. After all this, the Cubs are still standing in number one in the NL Central right now, uh, followed by the Brewers, the Cardinals, then the Pirates and the Reds. The Pirates and the Reds are pretty much out of it at this point in time. They've had a but bad post-all-star break stretch, yeah. They're doing they're doing quite poorly, I agree. Uh, the Brewers, Cardinals, and the Cubs are all kind of still in contention for first, I suppose. Uh, Brewers oh, yeah. are two games behind the Cubs, and then the Cardinals are two, two and a half games, I think, behind the Brewers at the moment, at the, the time of recording. The and, uh, Cardinals you know, are just State. a half a game behind the Brewers. Oh, just a half? Yeah. Two oh, and a half yeah, behind the Cubs, you're, half you're, a game behind the Brewers. So it's still a dumpster fire. Uh, the NL Central is... Nobody wants to win, apparently, that bad. Or they want to keep it. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's not, it's not going too well. Um, yeah, NL Central is bad. That's basically what I'm getting out there. Yeah. Coming up, yeah. the Cubs have a three-game series versus the Giants. And then uh, going to make it a little bit more interesting, I guess, for the NL Central by playing the Brewers in Milwaukee. That's a big series. 
So that'll be we'll we'll see what happens there. Hopefully it shakes something up a little bit for for the better, not worse. But we'll find out. We'll find out. That's that's your uh, Cubbies update for you. Yeah, a sweep either way could really change the way that NL Central looks. Plus, who knows what the Cardinals do while those teams are battling it out. So they play Pittsburgh the first half of this week. Yeah, so we'll have to see what the Cardinals can do. They're certainly not out of it, but they'll have to get healthy too. So we'll see. A lot of baseball left to be played still. It's not even August. Trade deadline, then you can start. Wait until mid-August, then you can start start to write some teams off and start to write some divisions. It'll be, it'll be interesting. But the other big thing to happen in the world of sports was the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame induction happened uh, this last Sunday in Cooperstown, New York. Six players went into the Hall of Fame. Mike Musina... Harold Baines, Edgar Martinez, Lee Smith, the late uh, Roy Doc Holliday went into the Hall of Fame. If you remember, he uh, died in a plane crash a couple of years ago now. His widow gave a uh, very nice tribute speech for him at the Hall of Fame. You should go watch that if you haven't. And then, of course, the first unanimous um, Hall of Fame inductee, Mariano Rivera, uh, the Yankees closer, best closer ever to play the game. He did it for such a long time at such a high level. Uh, he deserved it. I don't. I, yeah, I don't have much else I can say about Rivera other than he deserved it. He was a great player. He was a great guy. Just an all-around, all-around great player to watch. I enjoyed getting to. I mean, I guess I didn't enjoy watching him close down game, playoff games against the Twins regularly, like he, you know, did so often. But he was. Uh, yeah. Very good for the game of baseball. He was. He was the la- last baseball player ever to win number 42, which uh, was retired for uh, for Jackie Robinson, of course. But anybody who was currently wearing it could keep wearing it until they retired. And Mariano Rivera was the last person to do that. So he was the last person to wear that number. And, I mean, it's incredible. So his number 42 is re- retired twice in New York. Once for Robinson and once for Rivera, or at least it will be. So, heck of a player, heck of a player. But currently on the uh, the uh, field, we have some more strange but true baseball injuries. This one is from the Twins. As I mentioned, we were just getting healthy, and then Byron Boxton has to go hurt himself again. Uh, in Cleveland, he makes a great diving catch, but for some reason decides to make the catch and then face plant and uh, give himself a concussion. So he's been out for the past week now with a concussion or concussion-like symptoms. They're not actually sure. It's a uh, it's a concussion. So he could be back as soon as tomorrow. He spent his seven days on the concussion DL. So we'll see. He had a good workout today. So if he shows up to the ballpark tomorrow ready to go, you may see Buxton off the DL tomorrow. But face planting while making a diving catch. Weird way to get injured. You see shoulders and hands and stuff get injured on diving catches, but you don't see concussions very often on those diving catches. So that was interesting for Buxton. Um, that's baseball injuries. Rules. Rules come next after baseball, right? Yes, that that is correct, Mike. And because it's baseball season, we do baseball rules? I mean... I guess we can really do baseball rules anytime. It just so happens that we are doing a baseball rule this week, though. I like baseball rules. I know the most about baseball rules more than any other sport. So, 
I'm sure we'll do some college football rules once college football rules season starts. Oh, yeah, we can. So, oh, yeah, I'm already excited for that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite so, parts about football is the rules. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. Go ahead with your no, uh, what's good. your what's your so baseball we're gonna, rule? We're going to talk about um, when a ball in play hits an umpire, what happens in those situations today. So there are two different clarifications to make. So there's one situation. Well, so first of all, it depends between batted and thrown balls. So with batted balls, there are two possible situations. If it's a batted ball that hits the umpire in front of the uh, the fielders, so it likes the infield and the ball hits an umpire in front of the fielders, it is immediately a dead ball. Um, the batter gets first base, and all runners that were forced advance run base, but all other runners do not advance. So say there was a runner on second, and a line drive hits the second base umpire, batter gets first, runner on second stays. If it hits an umpire behind the bases, like say the second base umpire is playing behind the second baseman and a line drive hits him, then it's a live ball. Behind the fielders, batted ball hits the umpire, it's a live ball. Players can play as if it's a live ball. A thrown ball hits an umpire is always a live ball, regardless of where he's standing. A thrown ball that hits an umpire is always live. Don't throw the ball off the umpire. That's the moral of the story. The reason this came up is because the Twins were stealing second base over this last week, and the opposing catcher threw the ball off the second base umpire which was unfortunate because otherwise that ball was destined for right center field and an extra base for the Twins. But instead, it just turned into a guy standing on second base as the ball bounced off the umpire to somebody else. So there you go. Now, if you're an umpire, get out of the way of the ball so you never have to apply this rule. But just in case you see it or it happens to you as an umpire, you now know what to call. So call things right. It's more fun that way. I think that's a that's a really lenient rule with the uh, a batted ball hitting an umpire in front of the, in front of the, the fielders, because yeah. generally, you know, umpires in most cases, besides this one specific case, the umpires are part of the playing field, so anything that hits them is fair game unless it's hit in front of the fielders, which I think is really nice. That's like a nice rule for the fielders because then they don't have to scramble and try to find a ball that's off trajectory from what it should have been or something. But yeah, I think it's interesting. It does it benefit generally you would think probably. it does. It does. But uh, I didn't know that, actually. I assumed it was still a live ball regardless of where it was hit at. So. Nope, there you go. That was a quick it, rule segment. It was. It was very, very, nice. very nice and efficient. I'm getting better at these. See? At 40 episodes in, we're actually uh-huh. kind of sort of figuring out what we're doing a little bit. Yeah, we are. And now it's time for the only segment that we've done in all episodes, right? Every single episode. Every we've single episode. So. No. Which is our write that down prediction segment. Now, do you want to go ahead and hold us accountable, Mike? Yeah, I do. We had two predictions come off the board this week, both which were made on last week's episode. The first prediction was for me, said uh, my slow pitch softball team would win a game in our tournament this week. Our first game, we were playing, we were the nine seed playing the eight seed. We uh, get crushed. We lose that game like 16 to 6 or something like that. So it wasn't looking good. Going to the loser's bracket. We're playing the sixth seed in our first game of that loser's bracket. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, we actually, we beat them. We came at a 14 to 11. We had a really good fifth inning on offense, scoring six runs to take a lead that we would not relinquish. So the Twins 
took or the twins, my slow pitch softball team, Las Tortugas, named after Will and Zastadio, because, you know, why not, took that game, only our fourth win of the year, against the 11 seed. So for that, or against the 6 seed, 14-11. So for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. Dang. And our other prediction to come off the board was Josh's from last week, who said Christian Yelich would hit three home runs this week. He actually hit four. So for that, Josh also gets a... Ding 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 ding. ding. Good job. Did he say three or more, or you know, at least three? Was it exactly three? I don't know. The message came (laughs) via Snapchat, so I have no way to prove that he didn't say three or more. So we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we'll give it to him anyway. Yeah, I would give it to him. So. All right, right. those are the two that came out. Kyle, you want to go and get us started with uh, predictions for this week? So getting excited for football season. uh, Speak in particular the NFL season, Patrick Mahomes will win the most valuable player again this season for the second year in a row. Wow. Um, What do you think, Bob? I don't know. That's not going to happen. Did you think you, I, don't I was think thinking that's double or triple. What were you thinking, Wyatt? Double. Definitely a double. double. I couldn't go lower than a double comfortably. I don't think a triple's warranted here. Well, right. I don't yeah, know. There's yeah. a lot of games he could get hurt. That's true. Nah. Whatever, double. Alright, double. I don't really know what to think about that because it's pretty. I don't know. Double, yeah. Mike? Yeah, so just to appease all these panicking Twins fans, my right to down prediction is the Indians will never pass the Twins in the standings for the remainder of the year. They may be tied at some point, but the Indians will not pass the Twins. Double. Double? I was thinking triple. The Indians are kicking right now. But they're not going to keep it up. You don't think so? They have a horrible bu- bullpen. I mean, their bullpen is one of the better bullpens in baseball. I mean, it, but their offense is also... Their offense is not sus- Susceptible, so... Yes. All right. You pretty much convinced me, I suppose. Double. I'll That's take fine. double. I'm not too... Yeah. Give me a double. I have that the Cubs will get... The Cubs will win their series against the Brewers by either two or three games. Win. In Milwaukee, Brewers are hosting, so. Uh, probably a double. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a solid double. And I have a prediction from Josh, and we have write-that-down prediction contention here. Because oh. Josh's prediction was that the Brewers will take two out of three from the Cubs this weekend in Milwaukee. Which I think we should also give a double to. Just yep. because, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. The two, the Brewers are the slightly worst team, but they're playing at home. So it's probably about 50-50 chance in each one of those games that a given team is going to win. So I think taking two out of three um, either way is probably the way to play that. According I to can, five, are we, giving, are we giving Josh two of three or three of three or just two of three? Uh, two of three or three of three, I would All say. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. According to 538, the Brewers are slightly favored in all of those games. But again, it is just slightly favored. So I would say double for that. So four doubles. Last week we had four triples. This week we have four doubles. Let's go for four singles next week. Uh, I don't like singles. They're less exciting. (laughs) Four home runs next week. Forced home run predictions next week. I'll be okay Okay. with that. So since we have a... All four Write That Down predictions down, which concludes our Write That Down predictions segment. That also means that we are at the end of the episode. 
our Midlife Christ episode, episode 40, is now at an end. Thank you so much for listening to the 8311cast. If you ever want to drop us a line, feel free to do that at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact or on our Instagram at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tater. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.